What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. Wednesday afternoon, sort of, almost, kind of. Uh, we're a little behind August 30th, episode 202 of the uh, the All Sooners podcast coming at you so, uh, from uh, Ryan's end in Moore, from my end in Tulsa. I'm John Hoover. He's Ryan Chapman. And uh, we got a lot to talk about. Because why? Because it's freaking game week. Let's go. Am I right? Yes, you are right. I'm very excited. Um, something we'll talk about a little bit later. It feels like everyone is tired of talking about this team and is ready to see this team. We'll talk about that uh, with Brent Venables, with us. But Saturday is the first step, right? Everyone, it, This has been one of the most highly watched off seasons, I think, boss, because of the disaster on field that was last year, plus how pivotal next year is going to be this final year, in the big 12 bridge year, get it going. Start Saturday, 11 a.m. Central standard time. God's time at the palace on the prayer. We, uh, we are um, jacked, just absolutely jacked to be in the stadium, in the press box on the sideline in Randall's case. Um, watching live football and evaluating how guys are actually playing full speed against other dudes. We've been doing this for a month now where we get to go watch 20 minutes of practice or 40 minutes of practice. And they're just kind of going through the grabbing each other's shoulder pads and holding on for a couple of seconds. And then the coach yells at them for something. We love that, but it's not real, real football it's just been cool it's just it's going to be amazing to get to the game to watch the game to do our little thing because like like ryan said coaches are tired of talking about it players are tired of talking about it. we're tired of asking the same questions we've been doing this for like i said if you go back to big 12 media days six weeks now how much can you learn about in six weeks about a football team if they're not actually playing any games right everything is guesswork at this point so uh but we got some news yesterday that kind of eliminates the guesswork, or at least maybe reduces it down a little bit, the guesswork. And that is the depth chart came out. No no big surprise that it came out when it did. Brent Venables and his staff uh, don't want to have to hash and rehash and rehash every week. Oh, who's on the depth chart? And why did this player climb that player? So you save it to the last minute. And that way you don't have to talk about it for six weeks, right? We could ask Brent Venables about the the depth chart at big 12 media days or at OU media day or anytime during in between. And he would say, I don't know. We don't have a depth chart yet. Right. That's all you got to do. So now boys and girls, we got a depth chart. Shall we Ryan dive in to the 2023 Oklahoma Sooners, uh, Arkansas state pregame depth chart. It's right here in my hand. I feel like Karnak the great on the Johnny Carson show. (laughs) Uh, I've got I, uh, all the names. I've got the lists right here. I got offense and defense. So, what does that make me that has all the names right here on a very different form? Yeah. Uh, I guess generational divide or yeah. the fact that I actually just couldn't find my paper copy. I think it's out in my car in the parking lot. You left it at on that table yesterday. I'm telling you, there was a folded up depth chart, and I said, "Whose depth chart is this?" I got mine. I said, "Okay, if you're sure." <laughs> I, it's it's in here, boss. It's in here. Yeah, that's what I, I like uh, to hear. That's what I, like. I told you. I, I was going to go rush and get it tattooed to the inside of my forearm. So that's that good. right uh, up here under your bicep, so you can just kind of peel it back and look. Exactly. Yeah, that'd be good. 
Let's start with quarterback, shall we? No surprise. Dylan Gabriel, Jackson Arnold. Third guy is Davis Bevel. Again, no surprise. Um, let's move to running back. How about that one? <laughs> That's where we're really starting. Marcus Major and Tawi Walker are your co-starters, or I should say Marcus Major or parentheses, Tawi Walker are your co-starters at running back. Uh, the backups are Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, the two guys who we thought were going to be the co-starters, are the co-backups. What do you make of that one, Ryan? Uh, I would make of it that this is the uh, depth chart for Arkansas State, and that by the end of the year, Gavin Sachuk and Javante Barnes, not in that order, I would flip it, will lead the Sooners in carries. But uh, Brent Venables, I think he talked about it right off the top. He was asked about Tawi Walker immediately, and the first top of mind thing that he talked about is he's physical, but also he's available. Best ability is availability. He He got to that quote as well. And I think it illustrates we know that Gavin Sawchuk has missed a little bit of time um, in camp. Not anything major, but he talked about that he was just out for a couple of days. There was that open practice viewing where uh, he was not going through individual drills and stuff like that. And uh, Javante Barnes recovering from the uh, little foot cleanup procedure he had in the spring. I think this is Oklahoma saying if we're going to have depth and we're going to preach competitive depth and we have a guy who is talented enough to play at Oklahoma because Oklahoma offered him to play in Tommy Walker, who has done everything the coaches asked of him and has been available every single day in camp. If you don't reward that, then what's the competition about? What's the competition for? Guys know that I'm just going to start. I'm penciled in. That's how an old staff operated. So I think it's something that a huge story for Tommy Walker, It really incredible for him. We got to talk to him, and he's a really exceptional individual. I really enjoyed that. The coaches have always mentioned Tawi Walker as like, hey, don't forget him as well. And I think it shows that Oklahoma is happy with Tawi Walker and, and feels confident in him. But still, by the end of the year, I would still expect Barnes and Sawchuk, if both those guys are healthy, which they're healthy going into this season. Like we said, it's not major. They're going to be healthy going into Saturday. Uh, I think they'll still lead Oklahoma in carries. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. Um, talking to Tawi yesterday, I think for the first time, maybe we got him after the spring game last year. Maybe I can't remember exactly, but I think yesterday might've been the first time we talked to him and very revealing, very open young man. My favorite part about his conversation, we wrote about it in uh, to all Sooners.com today. Check it out is uh, he'll give you the full, the video interview as well as the full quotes. Uh, he talked about being hard headed when he first got here, he talked about not taking coaching and DeMarco Murray is in your face, grab your face mask, cuss you out, you know, got the spittle going and everything. DeMarco, that's the, how DeMarco coaches. That's his style. He was coached that way. He's going to coach his guys that way. It works for some people. It turns some people off. Tawi Walker thought, he doesn't like me. <laughs> his first year here, he DeMarco doesn't like me. He was being persecuted by his position coach. Not true, of course. That's just the way DeMarco tries to coach as many guys as Maybe not all, every guy, because he's trying to gauge who can take that kind of coaching and who can't. Obviously, Tawi Walker is a guy who can take that kind of coaching. That's the cool part of it is he took it, he embraced it finally after thinking, well, my coach hates me, I'll never play here. He kept working, kept his nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and he turned around and here we are, season opener of 2023, and he's the co-starter. I don't know how many carries he's going to get, two or three, eight or 10, 15, 
Um, he's a short, compact, 5'9", 210, 215-pound guy who is uh, hard to bring down. I think it was Jaleel Farouk, who's a wide receiver, so what does he know? He said, if I was on defense, I could tackle him. Uh, but he said basically that Tawi Walker is a guy who the first guy never tackles him in practice. It all, And he said sometimes it takes all 11. He's hard to get down. He's a bowling ball. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. And if it is just Arkansas State and he has that moment, that's going to be awesome because his two-year-old son's going to be here. Um, his child's mother's going to be here. Her family's going to be here. His dad's going to be home watching on TV. His brother's got a game in Texas. So he's not going to be able – his mom is watching his brother's game in Texas down in Kingsville. So uh, she's not going to be here, but you know that family is just going crazy with the fact that here's a walk-on who went to junior college, who bet on himself, and now they're starting the season, and he's co-starter. That's cool. The devil's advocate side of, uh, side of it, Ryan, and everybody's going to click off the podcast, so maybe I shouldn't say this right now. you got to walk on at running back. You got a walk on at receiver. You got another walk on at receiver, right? Oh my gosh. I know all those guys, two of those three guys are on scholarship. Flip it over to the defense. You've got two more walk ons. Justin Harrington and Jaron Canick technically were walk ons, right? I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, the OU's got talent. Fear not. The Sooners have athletic ability and talent and athletic scholarships. They're going to be fine. Ryan, the big question uh, that we'll get to in segment two, but I want to broach it here and preview it, is what can OU show in this game? What can OU prove in this game? We'll talk about it in segment two. Um, the other uh, the other position that shook out, I should say, let's just do the tight ends and offensive line together. No surprise at all, offensive line or tight end. Um, unless I'm missing somebody as a backup, true freshman Caden Green is the backup left tackle. I expected that. Um, Nate Anderson, fifth year, fourth year junior, is behind Savion Bird at left guard. Troy Everett is behind uh, Andrew Raym at center. McCade Matower is the starter at right guard, and Caleb Schaefer, the transfer from Miami, Ohio, is uh, the backup. And at right tackle, you've got Tyler Guyton. As the starter, of course, we knew that. Jake Taylor is the backup, and Aaron Parks is on there as well, which is kind of interesting in itself. And then, of course, the tight end position, we know Austin Stogner, and we know Blake Smith. And then you get into the other guys, Josh Faneuil or Cade McIntyre, true freshman. So that'll be interesting if they have to go jumbo, who comes in first. But uh, your thoughts on uh, the big boys up front? Yeah, it, it, this is something that I think the headline takeaway is not just that it's what we expected, but coming into camp, what did Jeff Levy basically say from the podium? This exact depth chart minus Savion Bird at left guard. And I kind of took that as the challenge of go win the job. And we heard McCade Matar talk about it through camp of staying on Savion and, and things like that as far as it's it's one thing to do it in a bowl game versus to be that prepared for 12 weeks straight, all that stuff. And uh, like we're going to talk about it, linebacker on the other side of the ball, challenge laid out, challenge answered, at least through fall camp. Savion Bird went out and won that job. There is no or. We'll have a similar conversation with Jaron Canick uh, alongside Danny Stutzman at linebacker. But I think for me, that was just the biggest thing. And I just still can't help but look down this tight end roster and ask, was there another senior out there that Oklahoma could have gone out to acquire to pair with Austin Stogner to, to give this room a little bit of depth? Now, 
So they're going through that. He couldn't have foreseen that it's going to be a lost spring for Helms and the well and physically with the injuries. But looking back now, there is no depth. It's it's just not there. Blake Smith's caught what two, three career passes total. Um, Oklahoma needs those wide receivers, needs that running back room to be deep because I just it doesn't look like they're going to have that at least to start at tight end. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Josh Fanuel, I think um, Joe John Finley said it in the spring, or maybe he said it. I think it was late in the spring. It was la- it was one of the last practices before the spring game. Said that he told him, you know, Antonio Gates didn't play college football either. Antonio Gates came in and, uh, you know, was a pro football Hall of Famer after playing college basketball, right? He said he's got that kind of athletic ability. Okay. You know, one played at Cal, the other one played at Cameron University in Lawton. One played Division One high-level Pac-12 basketball, Pac-10 basketball. Uh, the other one played Division Two. So maybe not that kind of athletic ability, but I see I see where he's going. What I'm getting at is they really like him as an option. Now, has he ever done anything like this before? Has he ever stood on the field with 85,000 fans cheering his name? Absolutely not. So he's going to be kind of blown away and lost in the moment. But if athletically speaking, if he can step into that role, I think they're going to be okay. Let's talk about the other pass catchers, wide receiver. No real surprise, um, other than maybe a little bit of a surprise, although if you read the scrimmage reports, not that big a surprise. Andrell Anthony is the starter. I think some people and a lot of people around here expected Gavin uh, Gavin Freeman to be the, uh, the third starter. And frankly, he's going to be the fourth starter. When they go four wides, I think it's going to be Freeman. Uh, he's going to be Drake Stoops' backup as the slot receiver. That makes sense. Everything about that makes sense. Um, you know, he's a little bit, when you talk about Drake Stoops' speed and elusiveness, Freeman comes in, he's faster, he's more elusive, more explosive, stronger, better balance, all that stuff. He's kind of a change of pace guy at that slot receiver. He can do some um, you know, stuff across the middle, obviously, some check down stuff, some screen stuff, some tunnel screens. can also do the jet sweeps probably better than Stoops can. So a little bit of a change of pace. I think that's uh, an exciting option for the OU offense. Yeah. When you sift through it too, I'm not sure that the wide receiver depth chart, as far as only having three nail on has mattered less maybe because of Emmett Jones's philosophy that he demands every wide receiver to be able to play every spot in the formation. So that offers and affords, like you're saying, who've, if they want to get Freeman and Stoops and Farouk on the field together with a four-wide set, they'll be able to do that. If they want to get Andrew Anthony and Nick Anderson and Jaden Gibson out there with Jalil Farouk and go really big bodies, they'll be able to do that too if those guys earn those reps. Uh, I thought it was pretty telling that LV Bunkley-Shelton, who I think has gone really under-talked about and I think has just had a really steady camp, was an oar with Jaden Gibson, showing that, again, we, we've heard a ton about Jaden Gibson – for him, I think it's just he needs to see the ball stick to his hands and have a couple of catches. And I think that Oklahoma should probably force feed him a little bit against um, Arkansas State and maybe Tulsa as opposed to SMU just to say, hey, build that confidence back up since you've had no real track record, a couple of drops in like a spring game or in TCU, not a ton of just experience to go off of. Get him some confidence early so he can transform to the player that I think – this coaching staff believes he could be. 
Yeah, and uh, maybe possibly uh, so. One of the questions that Jeff Levy asked, uh, got asked, was about how deep the wide receivers are going to be. Um, he said he anticipates playing six to seven guys, six or seven guys. I asked a follow-up question. I said, could that over the course of the season stretch to eight or nine? You look at the depth chart. He said, yes, it absolutely could. But you look at the depth chart that they offered us. Uh, Nick Anderson is behind Farouk and DJ Graham, converted cornerback, is behind Nick Anderson. Now, the question becomes, you know, if everybody stays healthy, how much does DJ Graham actually play? I don't know. How much does uh, who's the third wide receiver, Jaden Gibson or LV Bunkley Shelton on the on the other side or in the slot, Jaquez Petaway? How much does he actually play if everybody stays healthy? If there's injuries, then you have to play and you have to get guys ready to go and all that. But if everybody stays healthy, who knows? Jeff Levy wants to go fast. All right. Jeff Levy wants to run a lot of plays. Jeff Levy wants to throw it a healthy amount. There's no doubt. And Jeff Levy wants to throw the deep ball. To me, that portends that there's going to be a lot of snaps for the wide receivers, a lot of substituting, a lot of guys running go balls and then coming to the sideline, and another guy comes in, goes straight to the formation. So um, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all that they play nine guys this year, and nine guys are catching passes. Yeah, it'll be – That'll be the huge question, right? Is you, you saw DJ Graham, he's been a little banged up. Uh, Brennan Thompson did not appear on the depth chart. He's been banged up as well. I think that per, a lot of the reason why those guys are where they're at, uh, especially with just the unknown that both of them are. My big question for the wide receivers is going to be, okay, if Oklahoma's in a bunch of really close games like they were last year, and Jeff Lovey wants to go fast outside of that specific situation where they're trying to stretch the field and it doesn't land, how much subbing is actually going to happen? Because part of last year is that I don't think they trusted a bunch of wide receivers. I think the other part of it is that they were going so fast, whatever wide receivers started the drive outside of when they did the weird, like throw the second unit in plus Gabriel for two drives or whatever. uh, No one subbed because they were like, we're going to go one formation and we're going to go, go, go till it's either a touchdown or a punt all in 90 seconds. And they did that a lot. And most times it was a punt. Yes. Yeah, they uh, got their fair share of both, which I think punting might be an adventure this year for the Sooners. I, when you have three oars, I think that that is not a good thing. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, Brent Venables didn't really l- commit to a punter. We look at the depth chart and there are three there are three oars. Three, two oars with uh, two, three pl- position players. They're going to... Uh, we can, we can talk about special teams later. We can talk about special teams now, but it looks like they brought in Elzinga, remember, from Central Michigan because of his natural talent to pin the ball deep in the corner. Coffin corner kicks, um, pooch punts. They, uh, Jay Nunez called it pooch punts because last year they tried some pooch punts and the ball went through the end zone several times. So, Lost field position, Brent Venable said they get the ball at the 20, 25-yard line, turn around, score a touchdown. That happened 10 times last year. Can't have that. He, he wants the defense to be able to pin their ears back and, and knock guys backwards toward the end zone uh, when they're pinned inside the 10. So that's why they have a pooch punter now, and they're going to let Josh, Josh Plaster hit the long ones. Or ready. I'm, I'm just going to call him Reddy because I'm, I'm afraid I'll butcher his last name. So sorry, Reddy. Uh, but, uh, they'll, yeah, three guys at punter. They're going to 
I would guess they're going to use two. OU is going to be one of those teams that, you know, every every team has a like a punting statistic and it's one guy. OU is going to be that one of those rare teams that has two guys with 28 punts each or something like that. One averages 44 yards and the other one averages 36. Shout out to Reddy Mustafa Raj. There you go. Let's Mustafa make it happen. Raj, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thank you to soccer. That that name is – you'd be surprised how much uh, – how less afraid of names you are when you just exist in the soccer world. Now, at punting, Oklahoma's basically – what they're going to trade is Michael Turk had a huge leg and couldn't re- – there was not a lot of finesse to that situation. He was great when you're pinned deep into your own end zone. We saw he was over and over and over again putting the ball too close to the goal line and – he didn't stick on a roster in the NFL. With a leg like that, that usually means one thing. It's that you can only kick it and you can't conform to all the different situations. Because that Pat McAfee will tell you uh, punting is more of an art form than just kicking the ball as hard as you can. And Turk was incredible at that. Uh, I think you're going to flip that for better situational punting. But if Oklahoma sputters on their own 25, it, it may be a big field position nightmare just because I don't know if they're going to have the kind of cannon to bail you out of a situation like that, which is where Turk really excelled. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, kickoffs, Zach Schmidt is the man. Kick, place kicks, field goals, PAT, Zach Schmidt has won the job. There is no or on the kicker situation. On uh, long snapper, it's Ben Anderson. He's the long snapper, and there is no or. On the holder, it's Josh Plaster. Okay, there is no or. Uh, punt returns is Freeman. Or LV Bunkley Shelton, and then the third guy is Drake Stoops. That's punt returns. Kickoff returns. They got this one right. They got three guys listed, and we don't know who's going to get the most of them. Uh, Billy Bowman, Jaleel Farouk, and Peyton Bowen, who are two of the three, I would absolutely say, are definitely uh, game breakers. Bowman and Bowen. We've been we watched them in high school take kickoff and punts and interceptions and fumbles back for touchdowns. Both those guys are going to be dynamic. Uh, and then Farouk basically did it last year. So those are the three names I would have actually said. Those are your three kickoff return candidates. That was the one position I think I got right. right. So well, who knows? Well, and Brent Middles has asked about Billy Bowman. What, was he concerned at all with the injury he picked up last year? And Brent kind of laughed and was like, the paraphrase of that was, we were 6-7 and seven last year. We can't afford to save guys on special teams. Yeah. And uh, I was actually talking with Eddie today that I was like, uh, Oklahoma in 2008 with DeMarco Murray and it costing them a national championship is a much different situation than Oklahoma in 2022-23 with whatever the hell that team was last year. Like like Brett Middles is saying, they're looking for two yards anywhere they can get it. Uh, and, and so, yeah. And Billy Bowman's a guy, too, that he was kind of asked. Him and Peyton Bowman were both asked about special teams during camp. They're just like, yes, I Yes, please, ball, my hands, hey. absolutely. And the fact of the matter is, they've got Key Lawrence, they've got other, they've got Reggie Pearson, they've got guys that they can roll at safety if Billy Bowman sprains an ankle or something, has to miss a couple of games because he returned a kickoff. Right? I mean, they've got some depth at safety now. They could, they didn't have it last year, so a little bit more urgency. Even though, yes, six and seven. Um, what's the point? Also, Demarco, all he did was set the school record for all-purpose yards. <laughs> Why wouldn't you have him returning kickoff? The dude was exceptional at it. So, well, I would say because you didn't have him to go to war with Percy Harvin. I think that is why you don't have Demarco Murray yeah. when the offense when the offense was uh, scoring from anywhere. As much as we bagged Lincoln Riley for the his just 
screw that, we're going to go and score points. In 2008, screw that, they were going to go and score points. Yes, if um, if the I think the right guard doesn't step the wrong way on that goal line, on that fourth down goal line play, uh, what's his name, Chris? Chris Brown. Brown, yes, Chris Brown would have scored easily. Of Rihanna fame. No, the other Chris oh, Brown. the other Chris Brown. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he would have scored easily. They would have, I think, taken the lead on that uh, instead of a fourth down stop right there. Anyway, we're or, way back. Or, hear me out, Spinning it Sam back. Bradford, Jermaine Gresham, try that once, once. maybe, yeah. on the goal line. Not on the goal line. <laughs> and as it often does, the depth chart reveal turns into a rehash of the 20, 2008 Hey, we got uh, Tulsa's coming up on the schedule. Maybe we can ask Kevin Wilson about that goal line sequence uh, at some point. <laughs> he might not might not appreciate that. Oh, you fans are like, what is what is? No, Kevin, not again! Did you watch the? Uh, is it Netflix that did the the Gators Swamp Creatures or whatever they are? Yes. Yeah, I did not watch it because it was basically an Urban Meyer uh, level palooza. Yeah, so. I didn't watch it. I watched uh, some outtakes or some highlights or whatever, some clips excerpts and uh, one of the excerpts was the florida safety coming across and just decapitating manny johnson which of course as we all know now is targeting an ejection from the game but back then totally legal to try to kill a guy to take a knife out of your sock and stab him in the heart while he's trying to catch a pass um learn that from aaron hernandez yeah and i mean two in two sam bradford interceptions were in the hands of the receivers and they've ended up in the air and taken out of the air by the defense. So, I'll you know I'll go to my grave saying that a Florida team was talent wise was way better, and oh, that Oklahoma team was loaded. Now, don't get me wrong, but that Florida team was elite, all time, exceptional. And yet, I thought Oklahoma had every opportunity to win the game. Win the game. We got to get to the defensive side. I was going to say, second segment, we're going to go 2009, Landry Jones in Lincoln, five yes. interceptions. We're going to rehash that one in the second segment. And Dominican Sue throwing poor Stephen Good like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> poor Stephen Good. Hey, let's, uh, let's jump to the second segment. Uh, I'll give you my favorite quote of the preseason. It is spectacular, and it might not be who you think it's from, be from who you think it's from. It was the best quote uh, I've had doing this in, I think, several years from a player. And I'll give it to you coming up next. Uh, plus, we're going to do the defensive depth chart all next on the All Sooners podcast. If you're on Twitter, which I will not call X, I would ask that you give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. That's the uh, All Sooners official Twitter feed. Uh, you can find me at Johnny Hoover. Not Johnny. Not Johnny Football, John E. Hoover, which I watched that Johnny Football documentary, too. That was actually pretty good. Very revealing. Uh, follow Ross at Ross Lovelace. Follow Randall at Randall Sweet 5 Follow Ryan at underscore Ryan Chapman. And follow Tim at Tim Willert 2 All of our guys are on Twitter. All of them contribute. All of them post. All of them are very active, and uh, what, what, what does that make it, Ryan? Five? We got five dudes covering OU football. Yes, yeah. So I had to do the I had to do a count. I was like, yeah. we've been I've been so used to three forever that it's right. uh, all reformed. The website, of course, is allsooners.com. 
That is uh, our website, allsooners.com, Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And it is free to use, free to click, free read, no passwords, no emails, no signups, no credit cards. All Sooners is all free and always will be as long as I'm publishing that bad boy. Ryan, uh, I'm going to give you my, my favorite quote before we dive into the defensive depth chart. It's from Ethan Downs, who is usually eloquent but very reserved with his quotations. Ethan Downs said, P.J. Adebore is like Avatar. He's like the blue Avatar. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that might be like the perfect summation of what he, P.J. compared to what the other players on his team he looks like an eight-foot blue guy. He's that much different, that much at, more athletic, that much more imposing, that much more impressive when he steps off the bus or walks out of the locker room. You see PJ and you go, who's that dude? Who's 34? Avatar. Brilliant. Orlando Brown is jealous of his tail as well, but uh, they do a good job of keeping that nice and tucked away so he can play football. But no, uh, I'm excited to see him and uh, – I get if you look at the depth chart and you're like, okay, everyone freaked out about this kind of defender that Oklahoma has landed. Biggest recruiting win since XXX. Now it's David Stone. Biggest recruiting win since all that. I don't think it matters much that he's the third guy because when you look at this defensive end, defensive tackle depth chart, I think that these guys are going to rotate a bunch. And I think of that position more than any, you can get – three guys deep and feel pretty good about saying, I think that that guy's going to rotate in in the first half of games when they matter, much less uh, a ton of mop-up duty, you would think, against the likes of an Arkansas State, certainly a Tulsa, perhaps an SMU. If you count um, OU Media Day as preseason, I still think it's my favorite quote the avatar quote, but if you count OU media day as like off season, like the divide, like practice hasn't started yet. Then my favorite quote of the off season was also about PJ Adebore. <laughs> when Miguel Chavis said he's longer than Monday afternoon, put those two <laughs> quotes together. He's longer than Monday afternoon. He is a blue avatar. I'm like, this guy's got to play at some point. This guy has to get in there. Pin your ears back. See ball, hit ball. Um, I can't wait to see it. Let's do the defensive end depth chart rundown on one side. You've got uh, Rondell Bothroyd, the transfer from Wake Forest, who we all predicted would be the starter because he's coming off some seriously good numbers at Wake Forest. He's stepping in here, and he's got lots of experience. And we got to watch him a couple of times in the open practices. You go down there and you watch him, how he strikes those bags and how he pushes those sleds and how he interacts with his teammates. You can see. That guy is uh, DE1, so to speak. Uh, Behind him is Mason Thomas, our Mason Thomas, who had an impact last year. I looked up his numbers. They weren't overwhelming, but as a true freshman, he came in last year, had an impact. So you figure he's going to be a guy that comes in and gets some relief snaps. Okay, go in there and hold the edge for a couple of series. And then the third guy is PJ Adebore, who is, okay, it's third and six. We think they're going to throw. Go get the quarterback. That's his, going to be his role this year. However many times they need a third down stop, a, a pressure or a batted ball or something like that to come in and shut down, force a punt, hold the edge on third down, force a punt, 
and get the ball back to the offense. That didn't happen last year. That was the number one bugaboo for this defense last year. Adebore, a lot of pressure on a freshman, but not too much. Like, you don't have to hold the edge on first down. You don't have to take on that big blocker on second down. We want you to go in on third down and sack the quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And now Oklahoma suddenly has options, right? Uh, back to Armason Thomas, if you're looking at those numbers and go, okay, I remember his impact being bigger. Well, remember that was a guy that did not have spring football either, right, in 2022. He arrived in the summer, was pretty light, and then had that hamstring. He had, quote, a slight hamstring. That was – it's always my favorite injury classification is that uh, R. Mason Thomas has acquired one slight hamstring per Brent Venables, but that cost him a couple of games there in the middle. But now suddenly, yeah, if it's third and long, Trace Ford, we're going to talk about on the other side of that defensive line, R. Mason Thomas, P.J. Adebore. Oklahoma has options to throw in there and actually get after and rush the passer. And outside of the non-conference last year, that was just not something like Ethan Downs holds up well in the run. He's fine rushing the passer, but that's not like his specialty. Reggie Grimes was not very present at all in conference play last year. You certainly weren't getting anything from the interior. A, a lot of the pressure was schemed, blitzing, things like that. Now you have guys that Oklahoma hopes will be able to get after the quarterback without having to scheme an extra guy free, where that can just be Brent Venables having fun as opposed to trying to manufacture a pass rush. Yeah, well said. Um, let's jump to the other defensive end before we go into the tackles. Uh, Ethan Downs is the starter, or, right, Trace Ford. Interesting. The uh, the Oklahoma State transfer coming off a serious injury, um, coming off an offseason where he rehabbed that injury, and, you know, literally uh, that was the question. He couldn't participate a bunch in spring, but literally that was the question. How much can you go? He's the uh, he's the or guy with your all Big Twelve returning starter Ethan Downs. I find that interesting. I think that that'll play out just like this: uh, running downs, Ethan Downs, passing down, Trace Ford, and I think that that's kind of kind of be how that goes, especially as they try to keep Trace Ford as fresh as possible for conference play. I would imagine that's the thing. But I, I saw some people, mainly from Stillwater. Uh, going, oh, look, Trace Ford, that's a guy that transferred, and he's not even named a starter. But Brent Middles talked about, first off, again, not super available in the spring as he was rehabbing. But secondly, that's a guy that started at the bottom of the depth chart and through spring, summer, and fall camp before his best attribute, the pass rush, can really show up on Saturdays. It's hard to simulate that in a scrimmage when all the quarterbacks have blue shirts. He's already fought his way up to be a co-starter. I, I think that Trace Ford, if he stays healthy, he's going to be just fine for Oklahoma. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, behind Ethan Downs on the defensive end side and Trace Ford, you've got last year's returning starter. You've already talked about him several times. Reggie Grimes as the third string guy behind the guy that he was the uh, bookends with last year. So that's interesting to me as well. It's uh, it's Reggie Grimes or Marcus Stripling. And then the true freshman Taylor Wine is the fourth, uh, fifth guy in the defensive end rotation. Um little bit of interesting stuff there. I'm going to go over some snap counts here in a minute. But let's go to the interior. And here's the deal with this. We're going to throw out nine names for two positions on the defensive line, on the interior defensive line. That sounds like a good amount of depth and experience and rotation and keeping guys fresh, right? But how much is Brent going to opt for the three-man front? 
So we're talking about nine guys at the, whether it's the defensive tackle or the nose, the three technique or the zero, we're talking about nine potential candidates there for one position. All of a sudden you start to say, wait a minute, this is, this might be a little too competitive. Um, so it's up to Brent, whether he wants to play the four man front or the three man front. And he's going to probably feel a lot better about playing the four man front this year because those guys on the interior are better. Uh, I think it was my buddy, Travis Davidson, who put out the tweet of last year's interior defensive line versus this year's interior defensive line. This side averaged 289 pounds. I think this side averaged, uh, 300 the difference was the difference was 10 pounds per man 10 pounds per man so you got bulkier stronger more physical defensive line this year so i my my suspicion is that brent's going to play more four man before we go into the names ryan what do you think about that theory of mine um i think that you're just going to see a lot of both because brent venables that that's what he was last year when he didn't have the personnel now he has personnel to play both because when you look at the frontline guys that knows Isaiah Coe and, and DJ Terry, both not just over 300, but well over 300, 311 for Coe, 321 for Terry. That's just a piece that they, they were missing last year was a space eater like that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that the defensive line is going to be a lot more effective for many reasons this year, but the fact that they can flip between the odd and even front and just be, feel more comfortable about all that. I think that's going to be huge. Cause I mean, even Laulu's at two ninety seven, he's just a couple of pounds under 300. Yeah. So last year, Reggie Grimes played 516 snaps on defense. Ethan Downs played 584. That's a lot. Uh, when you think about the linebackers who all played 900 snaps or more, it's not too much. But it's a lot. Uh, Jonah Laulu at defensive end last year played 465. Um, and that's kind of it. Uh, R. Mason Thomas got a few, two, 230 snaps. Marcus Stripling got 245. Trace Ford at Oklahoma State got 263. When he was at uh, uh, Wake Forest, Rondell Bothroyd got 468. And when he was an edge rusher, <laughs> this changes a little bit, but when he was an edge rusher at Indiana, Desan McCulloch got 477 snaps on the edge. So these are all pro football focus numbers. Um, so you, what you're seeing there is Downs and Grimes have a good hundred or more snaps than the guys that they're now sharing snaps with or being backed up by or competing with. So um, don't make the mistake for a second thinking that the depth is not better. The depth is way better this year than it was last year. Yeah, and, and now just real interesting to see um... – we saw two years ago what rotation for the sake of rotation looked like. I remember how many times were we having the conversation of why is the second string defensive line in a, a crucial third down in Waco when you have to like get a stop to try and save your playoff hopes, well, all that, that stuff. A, that was an Alex Grinch special, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so this year I think what you're going to see is sensical where, hey, there's rotation. And also if Rondo Bothroyd and Trace Ford are playing the two best, on third and two, that's probably who's going to be the, there in the fourth quarter. Like, I think that's what's going to get married is uh, rotation plus sensical. If, if it's Downs and Bothroyd, those guys are going to be in there in the fourth quarter. If it, whoever's playing best that day is going to get the most snaps. It was the Tulane game when Tulane was coming back to try to, from a like a three-touchdown deficit or 17, whatever it was, and they were coming back and they were driving, and me and you were just going, what are they doing on defense? <laughs> 
and, uh, well, and, and it was it was that uh, they busted off Baylor busted off that huge touchdown run, and we're looking back, and it was like those were the second string linebackers that missed the gaps. Yeah. Like, yeah, what did you expect? Yeah, that that Tulane game was a, was an eye opener as to what Alex Grinch either knew or didn't know, thought he knew or didn't know about his defensive line because he subbed all four guys, pulled them all out, and brought in four guys who were career backups, and they just got housed, touchdown Tulane, onside kick, and they're still in, and it's like, we're just like, what are they doing? <laughs> Golly. Okay, so we've been to the Orange Bowl, and we've been to the Tulane game. <laughs> Maybe we should stick to the depth chart. Stay, stay tuned to see where we take you next. <laughs> I got some thoughts. I got some ideas. Uh, you want to go linebacker next? How about that? I got some numbers for you. Don't let me forget these numbers before we finish this segment because these are fun numbers. Uh, that I'll just reveal them later. Let's go uh, defensive tackle and nose tackle. All right, Jonah Laulu or Jordan Kelly are listed as the starters at D-Tackle at 3-Technique. And at the nose, you've got Isaiah Coe, who I, that was my lock to start because he's got tons of experience and his shoulders are like seven feet wide. And he's just, he's he's a massive human being. Uh, 311 pounds. Dejon Terry, the transfer from Tennessee by Kansas, he's listed as the co-starter with Isaiah Coe. So to me, you put... Laulu, who was a defensive end last year, you put some bulk on him, 289 pounds. Jordan Kelly, who's a fifth-year fifth year senior, I think. I don't think sixth year, but I have to look that up. Those are some talented guys. Those are some experienced guys. Those are some guys who know what to do in that position. I like the starters. Uh, the, def- the, the backups are Jacob Lacey, who is on this depth chart as the backup to the starting position. We didn't know from some off-season stories – Brent Venables talked about his blood clots. We didn't know how much he was going to be able to play, but he's the number three guy. He went through the entire preseason, not the entire preseason, but parts of the preseason with a blue no-contact jersey on, right? Don't strain yourself too much if you've got blood clots. That's the lesson there, I guess. But he's available now, so that's great news, the transfer from Notre Dame. Um, Grayson Halton, who had two sacks in the red-white game, is the fourth guy, or... Ashton Sand, I should say he's the third guy. Or, um, well, no, he is the fourth guy. Fourth yeah, guy with along with Devon Sears. Like, I'm looking at these names, and we'll see. Again, you you know, you have to hold your, your water a little bit here, but we'll see on the productivity. We'll see what they do on game day. But I'm just saying, based on what these guys have done in the past, based on some of their uh, performances here and there, based on their performances at other schools, Golly, this defensive line looks good. Well, in, in the middle there, they don't have to be all Big 12 guy. Like, in a few years, they're going to need an all-SEC performer at the heart of that defensive line. They potentially are trying to recruit those guys right now, as you're going to talk about with Randall uh, in the third segment. But for this year, they just need to provide as clean a picture as possible for a rookie middle linebacker and Jaron Canick behind them. And if that just means that Co and Terry can't get moved because they are just so massive, even if they're not just wrecking shop in the backfield, that's going to be an improvement over what the defensive line play was last year. You talk about beefing up the edges as well. Then suddenly you're not getting folded at the point of attack if people try to string you out wide. And it doesn't sound sexy. I didn't really sell it. But that is a huge improvement over what Oklahoma had 
up front last year. You pair that with the talent that's coming behind, and that that's the step they need to take this year. And and having that many bodies too means, hey, uh, Jordan Kelly, if you happen to miss something on this play, not picking on Jordan Kelly, just a hypothetical. Guess what, buddy? You can come stand right by Todd Bates, and you can throw the next guy in. And if he gets it right, then you can say, "See, study film, get it going, or not." And that was not something that Oklahoma could do at many positions last year, all across the entire team, much less yeah. defensive line. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so at the nose, it's uh, Co and Terry. We talked about those two guys. Uh, the third guy is Kelvin Gilliam or Ashton Sanders. So a true freshman or a redshirt sophomore who hasn't really played a whole ton yet. Um, so it, I guess that's good. Uh, that to me indicates that they're not going to rotate a ton at the nose. You know, you're going to play those probably two front line guys at most. And who knows on that three technique, if somebody maybe like a Jacob Lacey steps over, slides over into that uh, nose tackle spot at the last second before a snap or something like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, again, it's easy to get excited in, um, it's easy to get excited in preseason about, you think this guy's going to be good, yeah. but it's also easy to drink the Kool-Aid and from all these interviews and all these press conferences and guys telling us, and by virtue of telling us, they're telling the fans, we've had a great preseason. We've had a fantastic preseason. We really like our team. We like a character and we like the ability and we like the talent. Okay. We're going to have to see it on the field. And as Ryan said at the top, the three games that we're going to see in the preseason might not carry over into what we see in the conference season. Three and zero in preseason last year, three and six in Big Twelve play last year. We bought the we we bit the hook. We bought the um, the line. We, you know, drank the Kool Aid. Whatever you want to say that that three and zero non conference season last year was a bit of bit of a mirage, and uh, we'll have to see how that shapes up. Linebackers, Ryan. Uh, no surprise, of course, Jaron Kanick and Danny Stutzman are the starting linebackers. Uh, before we get into Cheetah, let's go through the linebackers. Connor Near, the transfer from Ferris State, almost said App State. Ferris State is the backup at Mike. Uh, and he's backed up by redshirt freshman Kobe McKenzie and true freshman Phil Pachati. Behind Stutzman, you've got Kip Lewis as the number two. So that's interesting. 206-pound Kip Lewis is your backup weak side linebacker. Uh, then you got Lewis Carter, true freshman, or redshirt junior, who's actually an academic senior by far, uh, Shane Witter, and Owen Heineke is the fifth name on that list. So a lot of linebackers for two spots. Ryan, the, the cheetah position has been won, at least for the first snap of the Arkansas State game. Season opener has been won by Justin Harrington over – Desan McCulloch. Surprised? Uh, surprised? No, not based off what we've heard about Justin Harrington all through fall camp, that, that he's had a really good camp. And you pair that with what Desan McCullough told us at the end of spring football last year, which is he's been asked to do a lot of different things than when he played defensive end in Indiana. Like it's, it's a totally different position. And he was like, I'm putting in the work. I'm going to come along. But it's he's like, I'll probably be learning into the season. So I don't think that's a huge shock there. And I think that you're going to see the Cheetah be what was sold to us last year, which is instead of just, just Deshaun White playing it 100% of the time, if it's a passing situation and a third and long, welcome to the club, Justin Harrington. If you're ready to get after a, uh, you know, you need to stop the run on a second and short, feels like a McCullough situation, like they'll be able to rotate that through. And 
And hopefully from the coaching staff's perspective, they'll have a strong spine in the middle of that defense with Danny Stutzman and Jaron Canick. Those two guys can cover a lot of ground if they're playing well and they're in their understanding what they see in front of them. Stutzman did a great job of that toward the end of the year. Canick, that's going to be the big unknown first time playing linebacker. Really? Truly? Uh, Brentman was talked about like when his great stuff last year, it was a lot of just him blitzing straight up. We were blitzing him. Uh, just let him go chase down after the football. So if there was one position on the entire team that I think could get bogged down mentally outside of Stutzman, I think it could be the cheetah and Kanek, the guys on either side of Stutzman, just because they're so new to everything that's going to be asked of them. Here's my question. It's third and nine. Do you run out? a 216 pound safety or a 219 pound defensive end on third and nine. Do you say we want to play coverage and defend against that slot receiver? Cause he said, Drake Stoops, uh, Desan McCulloch said the hardest guy he's had to deal with all preseason is Drake Stoops. He, he just worked me over. He said stuff like that because of, you know, he's sneaky and he's an inside slot receiver and he's, uh, all that. Um, Desan McCulloch's out there trying to cover that guy. So do teams go and do offenses go into the season, into the game, looking at, okay, this guy's not going to be able to cover our slot receivers. When he's out there, we're going to audible to a slot receiver play or with Justin Harrington out there. Okay. We're not really sure what this guy's doing. If he's, if he's dropping or if he's uh, blitzing. So we'll run away from him or do something, you know, we'll audible away. Is it going to be that predictable to where those guys, um, and they're they're like one does one thing and the other does something completely different. And here's the wrinkle. This is the magic of Brent Venables when he has the guys. Third and nine, do you just pull a defensive lineman off the field? DJ Terry, Rondell Bothroyd, R. Mason Thomas, or Trace Ford, get after it, and you stick McCullough out there, and then you have three safeties on the field anyway, and you're able to mix in. Now, is McCullough dropping? Is he coming to get me? Wait. There's Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen, and Reggie Pearson on the field, or Justin Harrington in that situation, or both on the field at the same. Like there are a lot of questions. I, I think there's a lot that Oklahoma can do to mask intentions, as opposed to simply being, if McCullough's on the field, he's there to rush the passer. If Harrington's on the field, he's there to cover a tight end. Or I, I think that's what Brett Middles wants that to be. Yeah, and I'm going to talk about this later in the third segment when we talk about recruiting, but. Um one of the things that Venable's defense used to feature uh, was 2004 when I first started covering these guys uh, was Dan Cody at defensive end, 6'5", 240-pound Dan Cody. Go get the quarterback, right? Okay, it's third and seven, third and nine, whatever. Okay, Dan Cody, you're going to slide in to, to the defensive tackle spot, but you're going to be standing up and you're going to be moving at the snap. You're going to be going left or you're going to be going right. They called that the spinner. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. That's a Desan McCulloch special to me. You've got a guy with that kind of reach, that kind of explosion, that kind of athletic ability. That would be uh, that would be amazing to see him in that role. Um, but we'll talk about uh, the other the other guys listed at Cheetah are freshman Sammy Omosigo or Shane Witter. I think if it gets to those guys, they're probably going to start moving safeties like Reggie Pearson, uh, Peyton Bowen played the, the position a little bit in the preseason. Maybe they didn't like what they saw out of those guys at that position, and so that's why they've changed uh, the names at the bottom, but that's just my suspicion. DBs, um, we'll go over the easy ones. Billy Bowman wins the strong safety job. No surprise there. He's the returning starter. 
free safety, it's Reggie Pearson, who we call kind of thought would be the man, or it says, or Key Lawrence, who was the returning starter at free safety last year. So no surprise there. I think those guys, uh, Robert Spears Jennings is the third guy. Again, no surprise. I think that's probably how we all expected it to shake down, especially as uh, RJ is coming off that uh, shoulder injury. Um, the cornerbacks is, uh, um, yeah, that, let's do cornerbacks. Uh, Woody Washington at one side, obviously, three-year starter, returning starter. got a bunch of experience. Josiah Wagner, who got all the attention and all the surprise run in preseason, Josiah Wagner is Woody Washington's backup. And that's probably a brilliant move because you take a guy with that kind of attitude, that kind of ability, that kind of explosiveness and trash talk and, uh, you know, just he just loves playing cornerback, right? He goes out there and knocks the hell out of guys who are way bigger than him because he's he's got that little that little dog mentality in him, right? Like he is not going to take anything from you just because you're bigger from, bigger than him. You take that guy and you put him behind Woody Washington, right? And you let him learn and learn and learn and learn. And then next year when Woody's gone, he is more than ready to step into that position. I want to talk about the other position, the other cornerback position where Gentry Williams, the guy that we all said in the spring was going to win the job. It took him that long to do it, but Gentry Williams, Ryan, finally won the job. Yeah, and that's there were three spots it felt like. We talked about Savion Burr. We talked about Jaron Kanick. Gentry Williams is another one of go and win the job, and there's actually a ton of competition there. And he might be one of the guys I'm very curious to see what Jaron Kanick looks like is a guy that just feels so much more confident talking to him. Gentry Williams would be my other pick as far as we know what kind of athlete he is. We just get to see him a lot out there. That was a CJ Colden special from Texas on last year. So what does Gentry actually look like? Jay Valai has been really happy with his progress. Uh, let's see that on Saturday and, and see, because I would expect, John, that that's the first thing that Arkansas State, while very limited, is going to try and do is say, we know what Woody Washington is. Let's go try and pick on a, a couple of young guys opposite of Woody Washington and, and see how they hold up. You put some respect on JT, Trout's, JT Shroud's name. Would you? Uh, they're going to absolutely. I, I will not. I will not put some respect on Mister Fifty Three Percent completion percentage. I, it, I'm not worried about. It. Yeah, what's his numbers? Nine touchdowns, seven interceptions, or something like that. Bad. They're bad. The numbers are bad. Yes. Second. Um. Gent, so Gentry Williams wins the cornerback job that was up for grabs. Uh, Kendall Dolby, the junior college All American transfer from NEO, is the backup, or true freshman Makari Vickers. That's the guy. Seatbelt. That's the guy that I thought. When I, when I met him and, and talked to Wagner in January, that's the guy, Makari Vickers, I thought would be the guy that challenges for playing time. And he has. He's, uh, he's challenging for backup snaps at cornerback. Uh, Jacoby Johnson, the other freshman, is the fourth guy on that list. And behind Woody Washington, you've got, we mentioned Josiah Wagner, obviously, or Kanai Walker. When you see Kanai Walker, he's one of those get-off-the-first-bus guys, get-off-the-bus-first guys. He is uh, 6'2", 203, and looks like he's ready to punch a hole in someone's chest. He is—he looks physical. I don't know how he plays in practice. I haven't seen you know enough practice to know that he's a dominating force or anything, but I'm just saying he looks physical. He looks explosive. He looks athletic, long, fast. He's everything you want out of a cornerback. He's the, uh, he's the backup to Woody Washington along with true freshman Josiah Wagner. So, um, 
you never know. Something happens. Somebody like that gets on the field. Light clicks on. We saw it last year with CJ Colden. Yeah, really, really young group, which means it could be rough at times. But also means there should be a lot of room for growth for those guys throughout the season. And uh, as that competition, that's one of the spots that Brent Venables is like, yeah, the competition's still going. Frankly, I, we we said this earlier, but if there's a mistake or something. At TCU, it felt like that was the only time they really were sifting through bodies looking for answers, and then that rotation got cut very, very small. Going to be something to track throughout the year to see if it becomes a just Gentry Williams and Woody Washington play, if you see a couple of bodies in there, what what that looks like. So I think we'll know pretty quickly how happy Oklahoma is with the development behind based off how many guys are able to get in there and kind of split some time. So uh, we mentioned JT Shrout. He's the quarterback at Arkansas State. Uh, we, I don't know if we mentioned Butch Jones, but he's the coach at Arkansas State. You see the Tennessee connection there, right? JT Shrout uh, signed with Tennessee out of high school in 2019. Butch Jones had been fired into after 2017. So they didn't really cross paths at Tennessee, but I think there was probably a, a recruiting relationship there or something. So that's who's coming to town on Saturday, 11 a.m. kickoff at uh at owen field ryan i got some numbers here i want to read to you let's do it well first are the are the numbers do they pertain to mcdonald's bags for mr shroud i don't know if he was involved these these pertain to john hoover bags oh good 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 i don't know if he was back i'm gonna impress the viewer the listener the reader here for just a second with these statistical numbers saturday 11 a.m kickoff Arkansas State, Oklahoma will be my 233rd OU football game to cover. You're old. Lee, I've been doing this a long time. 233. Now, not 233 (laughs) in a row, okay, but 233rd. Now, I say to cover, there were some games that I covered earlier in my career, but just since I've been on the beat in 2004 uh, was when I started. Adrian Peterson's freshman year, Jason White coming off the Heisman, that was my first year. So I've been spoiled. I'm extremely blessed i'm extremely lucky and extremely privileged to get to do what i do this is a blast i was walking around the stadium yesterday i was looking at the artwork and the heisman trophy winners and the all americans and the award winners and i was just like i'm so freaking lucky i am just so lucky to be able to do this for 233 games now fingers crossed that i make it to saturday uh from 2000 2004 to 2011 i covered 107 consecutive games I'm currently on a 48-game, win, uh, not winning streak, cover streak, 48-game streak, uh, 48 straight games that I've covered of OU, so Saturday will be my 49th. Uh, I'm just, I'm so thankful that uh, all the listeners, all the viewers, and all the readers have, you know, tagged along with me for all these years, ever since 2004. Before before I did OU at the Tulsa World, uh, the, the, my editor assigned me to cover Oklahoma State as the beat writer for Oklahoma state 2002 and 2003. OU, OU of course lost that 02 game coming off the 01 game. They lost back to back. And then uh, 2003, they came out and beat them 52 to nine, but I was on the OSU beat during that time. And when I joined the, when I, when I rotated editor assigned me to the OU beat, uh, it was a deal where people were just like John Hoover, well, he, he loves the Cowboys. He hey, He's a Cowboy guy. He, he covers OSU. He doesn't belong here. And so it took me a while to ingrain myself and endear myself or however it works to, to the OU fan base. It took me a while because they saw me coming and they're like, that dude's 
covering Oklahoma State. All we've ever seen from him is Oklahoma State coverage. So I just want to express how thankful I am to all the readers, all the fans out there who have been behind me. YouTube channel's blown up. All Sooners is the number one network on the SI Media Group Fan Nation website, um, the college website, the college network, I should say. We're consistently the number one website on the on the network, and it's because of people like you that have have uh, you know jumped on my coverage over the years uh, as as it has changed and evolved and and morphed into various different things. Um, the, the fan base and the, the readership and the base has just grown and grown and grown. So I just want to express my thanks to that, to all of well, you guys out there. And just to illustrate how tough it is to put streaks like that together, I had my consecutive games coverage streak nixed at 24 <laughs> because Eddie gave me the flu. He tried to kill me in Morgantown, and but just little stuff like that pops up all over the place. So to put together a 100-plus streak, to put together – it's going to get over into the 60s by the end of this year, knock on wood, stuff like that. It's hard to do because there's a lot of stuff that can just pop up. Life happens. <laughs> they tried They tried to nix us from getting to Orlando. Like A lot of stuff that does not have anything to do with the job. <laughs> I got in my car and uh, filled it up with gas and drove for 17 straight hours. <laughs> not a big deal. Did it for you guys, the viewers, the listeners, the readers. So, and then we, uh, Josh and I, left you for dead in the bowels of the Camping World Stadium. So, right. as, I, as I waited, uh, as I waited for someone to come rescue me, waited for the car club, the auto club, to come and rescue me. I, it, well, it was scary too. That was <laughs> about just... as scared as I've been for my life because Not... I knew Florida man was out there lurking somewhere. Not the part of Orlando you want to get left in. <laughs> no. No. It's a good streak. It's like uh, I feel like Bud Wilkinson with the 107 is my 50, 50, 47 straight. And then there's like he had another one that was like 31 in a row or something like that. Oh, by the way, while I'm talking about it, while I'm talking about ancient OU history, uh, might as well pitch our Barry Switzer piece. Barry Switzer, September 15th, will be his 50th anniversary as the head coach at OU. Marks the 50th year since he was hired as the head coach at OU. We're commemorating that with a series of stories, a series of top tens. It's five top tens, so we're calling it half a hundred, 50 years of Barry Switzer at OU. Um, the first one dropped last week. You need to check it out. Just search for Barry Switzer 50 and uh, on Google, and it'll pop up. Uh, but last year was the Barry Switzer's 10 best teams, and that was a beast to take on. I took it. I started it, and I'm like, this will take a couple of hours. It took a couple of days. Literally. <laughs> It took like two and a half days. Uh, the next one is going to be the 10 best offensive players. We've got the 10 best defensive players. We've got the 10 best moments. Some some other stuff coming up to commemorate Barry Switzer's 50th year at OU. Also, I think Othello's is hosting, along with, I believe, the Sports Animal, uh, is hosting uh, an event in Norman. And All Sooners is going to have a couple of people there talking to Steve Owens and talking to Tinker Owens and Marcus Dupree and Billy Sims and guys like that will be there presenting some stuff for you guys as well. That's part of our OU coverage. We're excited about it. We're not going to talk very much about JT Shrout and uh, Butch Jones and the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Three and nine last year. Not very good. Coming to OU, 34 and a half point favorite last I saw, 35 now maybe. 35 point, I said favorite, I mean underdog. 
So uh, there's not much to uh, – it's one of those games where you're just not really interested in the opponent. You're interested in how this team bounces back from six and seven. Ryan, let's finish the segment right there. How does this team – what does this team do on Saturday to bounce back and to show the fan base it's for real? Can it be done in one Saturday afternoon in Norman? Whether it's fair or not, it cannot be done in one Saturday afternoon. It won't be done in two Saturday afternoons in Norman plus one in Tulsa. You referenced it earlier. The team glided through the non-con last year, and it did not matter whatsoever. I think, unfortunately, and this is probably unfair to this group, we're only going to learn bad things. And I think that people are going to be like, well, I'm glad that a good thing happened, but it better happen against Cincinnati and then Iowa state and then Texas for people to really believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the hard part is going to be good things are going to happen Saturday and everybody's going to get excited and it's just not going to translate to the cotton bowl on October 7th, whatever that is. Um, yeah. Got the schedule right here. Hoover look at it. Yeah. October yeah the 7th. 7th. Um, it's just not. I, I really think it's not. You might even get into at Cincinnati on the 23rd of September and uh, Iowa State. We all know what's going on with the Cyclones. You might get five games into this thing and still not know much about your team. So um, it's going to be hard to get too excited about what you're seeing. I think what you're looking for Saturday is, number one, third down stops. Number two, third down passes over the middle being completed. Those are two things that have to happen. If you if those things aren't happening Saturday, it's a four-alarm fire. If you're able to do those things, then you say, okay, at least it's not as bad as it was last year. And then you start going into, did they commit a bunch of penalties? Did they hang on to the football? Did they get after ball carriers? Did they hit people? If you see those fundamental things, then I think you can start to feel a little bit better about where this team's going. But don't go crazy and start planning buying college football playoff tickets just yet. Yeah, I wouldn't get ready for Nelly in Arlington either until you see a couple of Big 12 games and see how that goes. Nelly. Ryan, good stuff, man. Appreciate hey, you being on, as always. It, it is a huge day for Brent Venables, though, so he can get back to 500 as a head coach at Oklahoma on, our, on Saturday. That's right. That's right. I bumped into him last night leaving the stadium. Uh, he was pulling out, and I was walking across the street from Gaylord to get into my car. He stopped and he said, what are you doing here at 10 o'clock at night? I said, Brent, that's what I do. Ten, we leave. He said, press conference was this morning. Practice was this afternoon. What are you doing at 10 o'clock at night? I said, this is what we do. He said, golly, football's hard on all of us, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. So I got home a little after midnight, fell right asleep, woke up almost 11 o'clock this morning. Tired. Sounds morning. ideal. Sounds ideal. Yeah. Tired, tired puppy today. Anyway, we're back at it. Coffee and uh, ibuprofen is a good combination for breakfast. And uh, this thing is rocking and rolling. You did a good job, Ryan. Thanks for jumping on. Thank you. Thank you. Look forward to it too, by the way. You and Eddie, four to uh, six to uh, six to 10 every day. Yeah. We uh, back. Well, I am in the morning. I'm alongside. Uh, Eddie Radosevich and we ride. So I think, I think that all of us, you, me, Eddie, Brent Venables, just looking forward to see what happens Saturday. <laughs> looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Yep. Yep. Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet. He's going to jump in and, he, and we're going to talk OU recruiting. You better believe we got some things to talk about. David Stone, 
one of the top players in the nation, one of the top players in program history. We'll talk about it next on the All Sooners podcast. Okay, final segment of the All Sooners podcast. Don't forget, if you like this All Sooners podcast, just drop us a nice rating. Five stars is the best. We appreciate it. And whenever you get a chance, if you're on the podcast, if you get a chance to like or share us on social media, if you get a chance to comment, if you're on YouTube, share, rate, subscribe, all that stuff really helps us, really helps the algorithm get the stuff out there to more people so we can have more listeners, so we can get a bigger audience, so we can serve you better. I told you guys in the last segment how appreciative I am to all of you for that. So I want to help. I want to say thank you again for helping me grow the channel, the podcast, the website, everything. It's been a blast, and I mean that sincerely. All right, uh, Randall joins us. Randall is from Parts Unknown. I'm guessing a Starbucks somewhere. Uh, I, I don't know that, that I should necessarily say the specific business name. Uh, no free promo, right? Gotcha. Okay, no problem. He's outside, uh, so we'll try to cope with that as best we can. Randall, um, David Stone committed to Oklahoma last week. Yeah. Um, if he signs, big defensive tackle out of IMG via Dell City, if he signs with the Sooners, he'll be the highest rated defensive player OU has ever signed. We're talking in the uh, in the online recruiting rankings industry era, right? So rivals and scout and 24-7 and on three. and all. Since those guys have been around, he will be the highest ever. That is including... Tommy Harris. He'll be ranked higher than Tommy Harris as a defensive prospect, according to 24-7 Sports, who used to be scout, I think. I probably oversimplified that. There's probably some bean counter right now blowing a gasket that, uh, no, you you forgot the contract that we signed in 2011, whatever. Uh, David Stone is 6'4", 270. I've seen him listed at 280, but I think he's closer to 270. He's, the dude is a flat-bellied menace when he plays defensive line. Yeah, I mean, if he's playing, he was playing. We watched in that uh, St. Joseph's versus IMG game. He was playing on the edge at six foot four, two hundred seventy pounds as a high school kid. I mean, that, like you said, is menacing in itself. I mean, we we were texting back and forth about the game, and you even said to me, "Good luck trying to block David Stone one on one on the edge." I mean, that's just not happening. The dude is too strong. He's too fast, and he will overpower guys. I mean, he physically is a monster. I've seen him uh, not play in person, but I've gotten to see him up close, and I mean. That dude is, uh, he does not look like most high school kids. His his upper half is really, really built out, really muscular already. I mean, you have to think that IMG Academy with that that weight program that they have there, they're really doing a good job of that. And I think that, uh, you know, like you said, it's it's the big, the, he's the highest rated defensive recruit that OU's ever gotten, but he is definitely the most impactful recruit, uh, probably in general, that they've gotten in the past few recruiting cycles when you consider you know, the state of uh, the defensive line recruiting, like we've mentioned in the past, and getting left at the altar a few times recently with Enwinary, with the uh, uh, Davian Sims, you know, with DJ Hicks, some of those other guys, um, you know, getting a commitment, finally being able to close out on that big time five-star defensive lineman is huge. And especially because he's from Dell City. I mean, you cannot, you cannot, if you're Oklahoma, let a guy who is from the, the region, from the city that you're based out of escape especially a guy that's that highly rated when you need guys like that going into the SEC. You cannot let him get out of, uh, even though he's playing in Florida right now, you cannot let him get out of his home state. And it uh, seems like the OU coaching staff did a 
fantastic job of building those relationships and making sure that OU is the place that he wanted to be. I mean, it's he he said it himself that um, you know his his parents wanted him at Miami, and that, when he said it after his commitment, that's not even the first time he said that. That's something that we've heard you know before. Right. Um, and so that, that's obvious that his family wanted him at Miami, which honestly, in my opinion, makes OU getting that commitment even more impressive because yeah. it's, it's not only are you beating out these other coaches, coaching staffs, but you're also beating out his own you know, family that, that's wanting yeah. him to go to this other school. Um, and, you know, we've kind of talked that that might not necessarily be for on field or, you know, anything against the OU coaching staff. Uh, you know, his parents might just want him to you know, experience something new to get away from Oklahoma City. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but. It's a it's a big time win for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail. You need guys like that going to the SEC, and you've you've said it. He's going to make an impact right away. Yeah. So the last couple of weeks, I've been lucky enough to watch uh, some defensive linemen really close. Williams Winery came to Tulsa. Uh, Kamori Moore, defensive tackle, was with him alongside where for uh, Lee Summit North came to Tulsa, uh, and then last week I got to see up close Danny Okoye. And of course, after that, we come home and watch uh, watch uh, David Stone. So I'm I'm like tuned in to what's going on on the D line. David Stone is that rare prospect right now, right now in high school, who when he gets his hands on somebody, I know he's playing against high school kids, but so are these other dudes. And that's where the comparison is is going. When he gets his hands on somebody and he gets them engaged and pushes them away. He does the swim move or he knocks their hands down or he does the bull rush. He's got an array as a, as a 6'4", 270 pound defensive end. I think they played a three, mostly three man front, three, three, five, or three, four. He has an array. He has a dazzling array of pass rush moves and knows how to use his hands. Some of those other guys I talked to or talked about, got to watch up close. You can tell some of them don't play with great pad level. You can tell some of them don't play with, uh, you know, uh, real skill in terms of using their hands to generate pass rush or to separate from blocks. David Stone has that toolkit right now where he is equipped mentally with how he wants to approach each snap. Okay, this snap, I'm going to grab the guy's hands. This snap, I'm going to swipe him to the side. This, This snap, I'm doing a swim move. You know, he knows what he's doing. Now, that's a rare skill for a 17 or 18-year-old kid, and I've got nothing against Winery or Kamari Moore or David uh, or, or uh, Danny Okoye or any of those guys, but you can tell they haven't picked up, whether it's coaching or just their age or their experience level, you can tell they haven't picked up the finer nuances of it. David Stone has picked up the finer nuances of it. He's getting coached at a level at IMG, which is very impressive. Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things that you have to love about getting those players from IMG Academy. You know, in the same class, OU has his teammate who plays right next to him at IMG, Jaden Jackson, you know, another interior defensive lineman. Uh, and, you know, kind of to your point about him using his hands, what, what really stands out to me is, you know, playing on the edge when he punches, with, when he shoots his hands up into the chest of that offensive tackle, a lot of times it knocks those dudes back. It puts them on their heels, and that really sets him up to be able to, like you said, swipe a guy's hands away or use a swim move or something like that. Uh, and yeah, I, I, he is a he's a special player. I think that OU fans are going to love him uh, whenever if they're, if Brent Venables and company are able to get him on campus. Now, Randall, twenty four seven Sports had a uh, had an interview with him and had some quotes from David Stone. Yeah, and the quotes from David Stone would make OU fans a little nervous 
and you kind of, you can kind of flip it and say, no, no, this this makes it even his commitment even stronger. But I'm going to read the quotes to you. This is from 24/7 Sports. Up until like three o'clock when Todd Bates called me, it was Miami. Okay, he was getting ready to go on national TV. He's getting ready to play the season opener on the road at Philadelphia. Uh, he's going to sit down at halftime. He's going to turn on the TVs and turn on the lights and turn on the microphones. He's going to make his announcement where he's going. He says up until three o'clock that day before coach Bates, Todd Bates called him. He said it was Miami. He said, I already had the edit made announcing, you know, on Twitter and Instagram or whatever. I'm going to Miami. Um, he said, my family was all for it. Had a conversation with my mom and I asked her, is it okay if I want to come back home? She didn't really want me to come back home and I was fine making the sacrifice for her. And it's, if it's not okay for me to come home, I won't do it. The conversation came down to, she wanted me to be happy to make my own decision. This is a big choice for me. And I took her words to heart and I went with my gut and I feel like I made the right decision. Are you a hundred percent on board with that? The, the, veracity or the accuracy or whatever of what he's talking about. I mean, he said it, so it, it's true. We have no reason to doubt it, but at the same time, holy cow, was he, when he reached for the Miami hat and he reached for the other hat, was he actually thinking about it or is he just kind of playing us on social media like he has been known to do? I think, I think there might be a little bit of both in that. Um, I think that this is, again, nothing wrong with it. I think this is a guy who does enjoy the process, uh, who does yeah. enjoy the recruiting process, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, I, I think there's plenty of guys that do. Um, but again, uh, I think that that maybe there was some consideration with Miami. But I think for OU fans who might be worried about those quotes, I think the real thing you need to take away there is he referred to going Miami, going to Miami as making a sacrifice uh, and saying that, you know, he wanted to be at OU. So if if that's if having to go somewhere is him making a sacrifice, that doesn't sound like it's somewhere that he wants to end up or is very eager to go to um, now. If you're OU, we kind of talked about it with uh, Williams and Winnery. And Missouri, you have to go out and win games. You can't, you know, let the season fall flat on its face and expect to keep a top-tier defensive lineman like that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Miami is going to be doing just what OU is doing with Winnery, and they're still going to be picking up the phone and calling Stone, especially since they're just down the road. Now, to be fair to David Stone, he added the quote uh, later in the interview. He said, honestly, even at the table, I was going to reach for the Miami hat. I didn't want to play any games with anybody. I am a genuine person, and I try to express my feelings the best way I can. Honestly, I was going to pick up the Miami hat because I wanted my family to be happy, but I had to be selfish today. I wanted to go to OU. So there's two ways, like I said, two ways to look at that. One is he was torn. He might still go to Miami. He might still flip. The other is he wanted to go to OU. He made the decision for himself. He's selfish. Not, Not he's selfish. I said that wrong. He said it right there. He said, I had to be selfish. Uh, He made the decision for himself. I think that when moms and dads start making decisions for where a kid's going to go to college, especially, especially if that kid has massive earning potential, like some of these high school football recruits do. um, That's a tough call. If you're, if you're a mom or dad and you're doing that for you, you know, you probably know what's best because you've lived that life, right? You've brought them along and you've uh, had their best interests at heart. But at the same time, if the kid has something in his heart, has something in his mind and he wants to do something, I think discouraging that 
at that stage of their life, you know, you're trying to get them to get up and be, uh, you know, responsible young adults, right? I think discouraging that and saying, no, no, I think you should do this. I think that's bad for the kid. Generally speaking, not all, not in every case. A lot of times kids have bad influences at home and they need to get out, right? They need to get away from whatever city, whatever neighborhood they grew up in. They need to get away from the, the influences that they have in their lives in high school or in junior high or whatever. Sometimes they hang around bad people. Sometimes they have rotten friends. And they, you as a parent know that it's best to get them away from that influence and get them somewhere like a Miami or like a Florida or like an Alabama or whatever, wherever it is. And you're able to, okay, so I don't know if that was the case here. I'm just saying sometimes it is. But generally speaking, when the when you start saying, I want you to go here because I think it would be better for you, it might be best to just back off and let them be selfish, let them make the decision that they want to make. When you're talking about playing, making a decision, play for play college football at a place like Oklahoma, that's almost never going to turn out bad. Um, oversimplifying it, Randall, to say that he changes the future for OU, that was my column that I wrote at allsooners.com. He changes the future for OU. Um, he's a local kid. You got to get those local kids. He's a guy who's SEC ready. They're going to the SEC next year. And frankly, Will Nawari is going to look around and he's going to say, hmm, David Stone going to OU. Maybe I should go to, maybe I should rethink my decision to go to Missouri. Not just Winery, but others. Nigel Smith coming up next week is going to make a call. He may have already made his decision. He may have already decided, you know what, I'm going to OU. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he's looking at this now saying, golly, if I could play next to David Stone for four years, what a career I could have. And there's others. There's others like Dominic McKinley coming up. Could it be, am I oversimplifying it to say that his decision to go to OU changes the future for the Sooners? I think the future is bright for defensive line at, uh, at Oklahoma. They've got two five-star defensive linemen out of the last two recruiting cycles, plus a five-star safety. Um, the total that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch signed total number of five stars over that course of, uh, of time was zero. You and I covered a couple of games last week. We're going to do some um, evaluations. I'll start. I went and saw uh, Tulsa Noah, the homeschool kid, Danny Okoye, play against Kiefer. Now, Kiefer whipped their butts. Kiefer, Kiefer was uh, – Kiefer's kind of a small school, tough guy, kind of play the – they play after the whistle. Uh, not dirty. I'm just saying they play hard constantly um and no it didn't look like noah was prepared for that level of intensity uh, the, the score was 32 to nothing 40 to 6 at halftime uh, i think the final score was uh 62 36 noah got blasted but danny okoye 6'4 246 pound edge rusher wide receiver punter inside linebacker uh, kid does it all. He was fantastic. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it, and again, this is playing against a team that is coached to play hard. They play to the edge and he was out there and they were playing to the edge with him. They were chipping him and hitting him, uh, occasionally late. And he would just turn around and look at the ref like, wait, why are you letting this go on? It's just, it's just a good example of this guy steps onto this field and he is the prospect and there are there's some good players on both teams but they, he this guy is a four-star stud he's going to be on his official visit to oklahoma this saturday he's coming to the season opener against arkansas state 
He's got official visits lined up to Texas on September 16th, and he's going to Tennessee on September 30th. Here's my assessment of Danny Okoye. If he will allow himself to be coached hard in college, he is going to be elite. He does, uh, what I noticed on on uh, last Friday was he does tend to take a playoff here or there. But like I said, it was 32 nothing. It was the first quarter, and it was 24 nothing. Okay, so, I mean, they walked out there the first couple of plays. I walked out, and it was uh, it was 8 nothing. And as I was walking up to the field, Cooper uh, was scoring another touchdown and put in two points. So, about four minutes into the game, it was 16 nothing. They were behind before they even kicked off almost. It was crazy. But here's Danny Okoye. If he allows himself to be coached hard, he's going to be big time. Um, when he flips the switch, Randall, the results are devastating. Ask the key for a defense, uh, offensive lineman who was trying to block him. He played multiple positions, as I mentioned. He caught two passes for 50 yards, a 20-yarder and a 30-yarder. He caught a two-point conversion where he just caught a little tunnel screen and just plowed through everybody, which you would expect of, of someone who's 6'4", 246. Um, he had a fumble recovery. He had a handful of quarterback pressures. He had a handful of tackles for loss. I don't think he had a sack, but he did pressure the quarterback quite a bit. He even punted two times. Each of his two punts was 50 yards, and both of them landed inside the 10-yard line. The first one, they let it go, and it checked up at like the 9-yard line with like a pitching wedge. It was, I mean, it was back spinning, and it hit and backed up into the 9-yard line. It's like, oh, my God, this, there's nothing this can, kid can't do. He was a wrecking machine on defense. He played mostly right end. He played occasionally left end. A couple of times he he rushed the passer as inside linebacker, which uh, the NOAA coach told me, James Ballinger. He said he used him a handful of times at linebacker. It's almost like a linebacker, like a stand-up in the middle, like almost like a stand-up nose guard is what it looked like. He would be over the center, and then he would move over the different three technique, and then he would go. Uh, and it reminded me, I've talked about this on the podcast already once today, it reminded me of that position that Brent Venables came up with for Dan Cody. Dan Cody, 6'5", 240, out of my hometown, Ada, Oklahoma. Dan Cody was a fantastic defensive end, but Brent Venables said, we need to get more pass rush, so let's move Cody to a stand-up interior D-line. That's what Danny Okoye was doing, and when he did, Kiefer was like, what the hell? Where's he coming from? It was uh, pretty phenomenal. Uh, so that's my assessment. Um, he plays with Good hand technique, extremely fast. He said he's running a 4-5-3 right now, but he's trying to get into the 4-4s. He's got a visit coming up to Texas and Tennessee, but he'll be in OU this weekend. Um, he's he's really good, and he is a fantastic prospect, a four-star that uh, at times plays an awful lot like a five-star. Now, Randall, you went back home to Lubbock to see a wide receiver who's already committed to Oklahoma. The the play on the field is phenomenal uh, with him. This is a guy that, you know, big body receiver. Jeff Levy loves those guys. Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, we've seen them get a ton of run in fall camp this year. You'd like to think that, you know, if they perform well, we'll get to see how Levy actually uses them in an o- OU offense. And I think that's exciting because that's, I think, Yvonne could really play a similar role to what we think those two guys will do. Uh, and afterwards, he also told me that he's working working really hard to uh, graduate in December so he can enroll in January, be an early enrollee, which will help him get on the field as a freshman, you know, with that size, that speed, if he's able to get there early. You have to think that maybe he could find a role early on in his career. He looks he looks physically ready to play, and I tell people this story 
uh, made me made me understand, made me realize what we're talking about here. As a high school football player, uh, I was a sophomore in high school. of starting my sophomore year. Or I was finishing my freshman year, going into my sophomore year. Five foot ten, 148, 150 pounds, playing cornerback, right? And at the same time, February 1982, I think it was, Marcus Dupree committed to OU out of out of Mississippi. Six foot three, 230 pounds as a running back. And I thought about that for a second. I, as a little kid, I pictured the visual in my head, right? A 15-year-old cornerback, 5'10", 150, trying to tackle somebody like Marcus Dupree, who was as, you know, also in high school at the time, had just finished his senior season. I'm just like, that's not fair. That's not fair. And I, so that reminds me of what you're talking about with, uh, with Yvonne. All right. Thank you guys for listening again from the bottom of my heart. 233 OU games I've covered on this beat. 49 straight will be Saturday. Uh, I am thankful to you all, the listeners. And if you're watching on YouTube, the viewers. And if you're reading uh, on the website, allsooners.com, I appreciate that as well. We'll be back next week with the All Sooners podcast. No, I'm wrong. We'll be back Saturday night from the press box, certified fresh with the next version, episode 203 of the All Sooners podcast. You can catch that one and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.